Because there's so many of them. And there's so many of you all listening to us. Maybe. Hi, it's the Media Boat <laughs> Podcast. Today is a special episode. It is March. And I have gone crazy. I mean, well, we knew that. That was way before March. <laughs> but March is a time where a lot of people go mad, you know? Uh, I, you may have heard on like all sorts of uh, channels, mostly sports channels, that it's a it's like a disease that spreads in the month of March. People go mad. Yes, it is a madness. Um, yeah. People have the need to bracket things. Yeah. And we have contracted this disease. For three years now. This is the third year where we were just like, we got it. You know, we're inoculated and we just have to sit in bed for a while until we just get the energy to make a list of things, to make a bracket of things. And this year is no exception. <laughs> So yeah, uh, it's the Media Boat Podcast. This is our special March Madness edition. This is episode one of Question Mark. I actually don't know how five. many this will be. Maybe There's five. five. Let's see. Let's play this fast and loose. But basically, we'll be doing this through the month of uh, March. In the past, we've done brackets based on movies. Yes. Our first year, we did the Disney animated canon, or at least we tried. And the second year, yes, last thank, thank year... Yes, you judges for... Yes. Judges ruling on that. Uh, but yeah, and then last year we did the uh, Pixar films. Uh, um, weirdly uh, uh, prescient, considering what would happen at the, the shakeup that would happen in the studio over the course of the year since. Oh, yeah. Uh, we didn't know that basically every person in a leadership role would either be ousted or quit. Well, good thing we did it then. Cause... <laughs> yeah, we did it at the right time. We <laughs> struck when the iron was hot, didn't we? Yes. On that one. Uh, but yeah, uh, this year, though, we're going to do something a little different. We're not going to talk about movies at all. I know. Shocker. Uh, we always start off with movies, but, but in, this we're case, the, in this case, we're our third year, so we're going to shake it up. We will yeah. instead be talking about some older stuff. Well, some newer stuff. And some newer stuff. We're going to be talking about video games, is I think what we're, we're burying here. Uh, yes. <laughs> video game. Video games. There was a lot of options that we had here, but ultimately we decided to do a bracket of famous video game franchises to determine who is and what is i guess i should say what is the uh i don't know how would you define this is this most important or is this like best like quality overall like what are we looking for well those are the rules we have to follow and judge on um basically we're going to look at each franchise as we bring them in yeah look at their characters look at their stature and not necessarily how many games they've had but rather the influence They've had yeah. on not just gaming culture, but also pop culture as well. Sure, yeah, that's that. That works. This, of course, uh, happening the uh, the year before uh, the twenty twenty uh, summer games in uh, Tokyo. I'm mentioning this because video games are going to factor in in a much larger uh, way than I thought they were going to. Yes, as esports is blooming that- all across. The way, um, as was noted at the previous um, Rio Olympics, Mario himself yeah. made an appearance. They recently announced in uh, uh, significant to the world of anime, which has some crossover uh, with video games, uh, that a character from Dragon Ball Z is like an ambassador for the games as well. Which usually those are real people, so that was weird. <laughs> as far as I know. Goku is not real. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you're not <laughs> wrong. <laughs> but there has been a live-action film. Yeah, but... The, no. But a lot <laughs> of us have seen the documentary adventures 
of Son Goku. The documentary, yes. <laughs> it's all, it all happened. Uh, but anyways, so yeah, video games, they, they're here to stay. And uh, yeah, uh, let's figure out... So this episode will be kind of our first part about trying to like... I was going to say seed, but you're not really seeding. It's more like laying the groundwork here. We're like deciding what franchises are going to be our players, and then we'll narrow it down to create our bracket. Yeah, we'll narrow it. At the end of this podcast, we will have narrowed it down to two final contenders, which we'll bring into our final podcast. Mm -hmm. And we'll have each eight of them duke it out to top one. Yeah, and... And we'll uh, see those top eight, basically. And we've decided, uh, in order to organize this in some fashion, and not to give Nintendo too much of an advantage, uh, we've organized this in four. Uh, we're essentially going to talk about Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft, because those are your three, at least current day, uh, platform holders. Major platform holders. And lastly, multi-platform, which will cover things that are not necessarily exclusive, uh, that live on everything. Your yes. Call of Duties, your Maddens, etc. Right. Uh, also, P- that's where PC-specific franchises say The Sims will also play. Right, and more on top of that, Rockstar Games and... So, yeah, third yeah. party third stuff party, shows up pretty much it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be um, uh, competitive. I think that... I, I don't know how this is going to shake out, but... Uh, well, we're going to give it the good old-fashioned... College graduate try. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how we're going to perform on this one specifically. We're we're currently in the middle of a pasta hangover, uh, so we'll see. But. Yeah, but uh, as we stated, this one specifically, or you know, if you read the title, yeah. um, is the Nintendo podcast. Yeah, we're going to get out we'll get out over with the easy one right away. Nintendo, of course, the oldest of all these companies. Uh, the one that everybody thinks of when you think video games. I mean, they're practically synonymous. Back in the 80s, people would say playing Nintendo to mean pretty much playing any kind of video game. That is maybe less than a little bit, but probably not by, by a whole lot, especially in certain places in the world. Um, yeah, there's a reason why they've um, stood the test of time. is because of just the quality that they constantly put out. And so, yeah, this will be a tough one to beat. The Nintendo franchises... Uh, have the most love, they have the most dedicated fans, um, and maybe they have the most quality. I don't know. This is what we're here to find out. And as such, it gives me an opportunity to bash the hell out of them right now. Yeah. (laughs) There's certainly negative things you could say about their franchises, even their most famous ones. Uh, Whether it's how they're treating them now, whether it's um, overall uh, not uh, evolving as as tastes have evolved, or as as technology has evolved, there's a lot of arguments you can make up against Nintendo, but I feel like there's a lot of arguments you can make for them as well. So, and with that, with uh, that we're going to each bring our eight, um, yeah, give or take, give or take eight <laughs> franchises onto the table. And we're going to start off with the big one, yeah. the one we cannot ignore, the one we're kind of dancing around, Mario. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, what, what I, is I, there one, really to say about Mario at this point? <laughs> So how are we? How are we gonna? Do you want to like divide this into elements? Yeah, we'll just we'll just talk about them and then kind of like start narrowing stuff down. So Mario, it's had countless video games, over a hundred appearances. <laughs> yeah, Mario is hard to talk about because when we talk about Mario as a franchise, we're not just talking about the core Super Mario series. 
We're also talking about literally all the spinoffs, yes. which encompasses a huge umbrella of things. So we're talking about Mario. You're talking about Super Smash Brothers here. You're talking about Mario Party. You're talking about Yoshi's games. You're talking about Wario games. Uh, I count those as separate franchises. I don't. Okay. And my argument for that is, and that's what I, one of the things I want to talk about about this is because it all stems from the same Mario ethos. Like it's not treated as a separate thing. Yes, but like Wario, it has gone on to spawn its own type of franchise. Like Yoshi has gone on to spawn its own type of franchise. They've had their own solo adventures within yeah, it. Yeah, but they're all Mario games. I I don't know. I don't know if I can I can agree with you here. Okay. Like I think ultimately they all fall under the Mario umbrella. Um, so yeah, this actually encompasses a lot. Right, and I think as such, Mario officially, like unofficially officially, ranks high just even among non-gamers. Everyone understands yeah. and knows who Mario is. He has a distinct advantage here because, yeah. Like, it's a me, Mario. If people don't play video games, they know what Mario is. They know who he is. They know what he looks like. Like, pretty much across the board. Right. There's He's, very few franchises, most of them Nintendo, that people can say <laughs> uh, that they can do that, where they can identify a character. So, yeah, he's, he's become less of just a video game icon and more just a pop culture icon. Right. But has the overall expanse of him literally being whored out everywhere <laughs> ruined that type of, like, nostalgia or that type of centralized character that Mario is? Well, I think if you're going to talk negatives, I think the ne- main negatives for... If we're going into the, the yeah. negatives portion here. I think... Um, yeah, ubiquity, it could be one, is that if he's spread so across so many things, he can be spread thin. A lot of Mario games don't have that quality that the main core Marios do, and that's a problem. Like, it's very, very uh, uh, well-known that a lot of people hate Mario Party. You are one of them. Yes. The randomness and the just, like, who cares nature of those games and the lack of actual skill involved turn off a lot of people. Same thing with Mario Kart. A lot of people over the years have complained that that's a series that's too easy, and the rubber band AI is annoying, and it's just, and the red and the blue shells make like it too even of a of a playing field, so that way anybody could win, as opposed to winning by skill. These arguments come up a lot uh, with Mario games. It's like oh, it's like oh, these are too easy, or or they're not innovating anymore. That's another thing, especially in more recent years. Besides your Mario Odyssey, which did surprise a lot of people with the, the amount of news that was in it, Nintendo's kind of been spinning its wheel with the Mario wheels with the Mario games. The new Super Mario games were kind of doing the same thing for like a good ten years. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were making that argument up until I guess Odyssey and maybe Super Mario Maker that it had gone stale. Well, I was thinking more of just the idea of Nintendo slapping Mario on everything. Yeah. I want to make an Olympic game, slap Mario on it. I want to make a golf game, slap Mario on it. I want to make a tennis game, slap Mario on it. But the reason why I brought up what I did was because I don't know that that necessarily is on its face value a bad thing. I'm saying why it would be, which is because if you give Mario's name on a lower quality product, then people might associate him with lower quality than what he's worth. Well, yeah, I'm not bashing the idea that those type of games are lower quality. What I'm saying is that there's just so much of them that what Mario stands for is literally not like a a peg at this point. (laughs) 
but that's the thing is if a character is ubiquitous with the jo- with the medium that he's on then at that point I don't know if that's like that argument's moot it's like to to have Mario in, in every video game makes sense because he is video games it's just become to the point I don't know maybe it's just me personally I've just accepted like oh Nintendo's making a video game Mario's gonna probably be in it in some capacity right and that's just like the automatic acceptance that yeah Kind of that I feel like it's just whoring out the character everywhere. I don't know. I don't know if that's fair. It's like, we need this to sell. Put Mario on it. Yeah, but they also don't do that. Nintendo's an interesting company because uh, as many Mario games and predictable, like, you know, franchise uh, add-ons and sequels that they do, they also will do something completely out of left field, like every console generation, sometimes multiple times. Like, so I think that that balances out the Mario quotient a little bit, at least to me. But that's neither here nor there when we're talking just about Mario. So, I don't know. Well, do, do, can you think of any any other, like, negatives through against him? Because I feel like there's a lot of positives. Or do we want to go back to positives? Well, there are a lot of positives. Yeah. Um, there's been several games that have been very influential in the oh, creation yeah. of video games. You can't talk about video games unless you talk about... Super Mario Brothers and Super Mario 64. Yep. Like, they're both really, really important because before Super Mario Brothers, nobody knew, one, you could do that much with the NES, and two, that, yeah, afterwards, games did the same thing that Mario did, but then expanded upon it. You wouldn't have Metroid without Mario. You wouldn't have Castlevania without Mario. You wouldn't have Mega Man without Mario. It had to happen for all of those other franchises uh, to exist. In Mario 64, you had the same thing happen again. Mario 64 proved, oh, this is how 3D game adventure games are going to work. And you wouldn't have Zelda 64, Zelda Ocarina of Time if that hadn't happened. You wouldn't have Tomb Raider if that hadn't happened, although they were developed concurrently, so that's maybe debatable. Uh, but like, yeah, it was like it was a it was a it was a changer in the same way. Whereas basically Nintendo laying out the, the 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 map and being like, this is this is what you do. We're going to now define the next decade of video games. And they have done that with Mario and yeah. And like you said, those core games. Yeah, and, and I mean, in smaller ways, the other ones, like Super Mario World with its kind of open-ended mm-hmm. alternate door, all mini exits kind, right. of, uh, kind of setup, and then I uh, would even say most recently with Mario Odyssey, kind of combining the Mario 64 school of design with open-world design in a really smart way, basically incorporating things learned from years of GTAs and Assassin's Creeds and basically like, hey, what if we brought in all these influences and made them to the quality of a Mario game? So even the smaller entries in the Mario series can be influential and important. Okay. So I think it's safe to say that even though Mario does have its flaws, it is one of the most influential franchises and therefore yeah. moving on, you know, <laughs> yeah. we'll put it in the list for now. I mean, I feel like we didn't maybe talk about that many specifics, but I guess, yeah, it's because we have to move on. It's because we have to move on. There are a lot more to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you have on your list? Yeah, why don't we just do this one, 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 one. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, to get to the point where we can't think of anything. Right, so. The one that I'm going to uh, uh, put up here uh, is one that I'm hoping that lasts a while in this competition because I, I will be jockeying for this one. Uh, I'm going to put Pokemon up. That was number two on my list. Yeah. There's a reason for that. Yes. I mean, I feel like maybe a few decades ago, or maybe two, even just two decades Couple. ago, it would be Zelda would be the next one we would talk about. Right. But I think Pokemon has 
climb to an upper echelon that it was didn't used to be on. Like it's always been popular, but in the year 2019, it is the sec. I think I re- recently heard that it is the second most money making media franchise in the entire world. Um, I would after uh, Star Wars. I'll say after Star Wars. Yeah. yeah, and so like it's insane. It's the biggest thing Nintendo has. It's bigger than Mario now, which is crazy because of how ubiquitous Mario is. Imagine that times ten, and you get Pokemon. Right. Internationally too, not only in Japan and here, but everywhere knows what a like everyone knows what a Pikachu is in the same way everybody knows what, what who Mario is. Right. Pikachu has been a part of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade yeah, since literally yeah. the nineties. Yeah, yeah. He uh, for for a good decade and maybe two decades now, there's been Pokemon represented. Uh, in like like a, a worldwide capacity like that. And it keeps going. I mean, that's the thing. is Unlike we- unlike Mario, Pokemon does have like your spinoffs and your like the, the big Pikachu being put on games that are maybe different or like off-kilter. You're talking about but like you also the, have Detective Pikachu and, and yeah, Pikachu Pinball Pikachus. and the um, underground mining stuff. Stuff like that. But you also Mystery have like, a really strong core Pokemon game Almost annually at this point. Yes. Uh, they recently announced the 8th yes. generation. Right. And it's still going just as strong as it was when it debuted. Right. At no point... Well, I won't say at no point, because there has been yeah. essentially lulls in, mm-hmm. in between generations, but they have somehow found a way to keep reinvigorating it with new ideas, yeah. new franchises, new Pokemon, right. and new tournament styles for it. Yeah, so I think, uh, to talk about the positives first, I think one, yeah, it's long running. Like, not as long as Mario, of course, but the fact that it stayed uh, way longer beyond the time where they were tell- calling it a fad back in 1999, yes. and it's still around, that's one thing to, like, that's one thing in, its, in it, a feather in its cap. It's just like, that people thought it was going to disappear off the earth in like a year, and it's continued. Um, but yeah, you're right. They keep it fresh by introducing new Pokemon, new mechanics, updating it, uh, keeping it relevant. And uh, as technology changes, as the internet started to uh, started to come about, like they started doing internet trading and battling, and as that technology got better and better, the options became better and better. Mm-hmm. The new generations on the Switch, so it's a, like a real console game with like real 3D graphics. It's like it's the there's there's stuff that the series continues to innovate on every every time. Like also, like it's a media franchise. It's not just video games. TV shows, movies, uh, card games, card games, board comic games, books, comic board books, board games. Like you name a thing, and Pokemon's been on it. And so that ubiquity, just like Mario, it adds also adds to its importance. It has influence as a pop- popular culture franchise, and not just. Uh, video game franchise and then I think that one of the other things that a lot of people uh, discount which I think is really important to the Pokemon formula is simplicity I think the the reason the reason why Pokemon is as popular as it is is it had it has simple enough mechanics for people to understand it which we'll get to in the negatives could be a detriment to some people but I think mostly it means that it's an accessible thing for all ages but there's also that depth if you look for it Every Pokemon game always has the mechanics deep buried in there that keep even the most hardcore people interested. Your, your your egg groups, your moves, like your special moves, your your EV and IV number training and stuff like super, super in-depth stuff that I barely understand mm-hmm. that some people obsess over and that's Pokemon to them. 
was also other stuff like breeding, Pokeballs, um, trainings, all the TMs, the HMs. Those people don't touch a lot of them yeah. because they're, they're, it's like one and done's to them. But yeah. there are other people out there who will go through and data mine all of this to find the best combinations. There's yeah. tournaments for Pokemon, not just video game battling with... But like uh, cash prizes, but, yeah. Yeah, cash prizes and card games as well, yeah. tournaments. But yeah, and, and then uh, the last thing I'll say for positives um, is, is its influence. If it wasn't for Pokemon, I don't think... And maybe this was um, a kind of a one-two punch with Final Fantasy VII the year before and then Pokemon in 98. But I think that the, the popularity of the Japanese RPG would not be what it became if it wasn't for Pokemon. I think Pokemon was basically giving you the Dragon Quest-esque, Final Fantasy-esque formula in a palatable thing that kids couldn't understand. And I think that basically trained a generation of people, our generation, to appreciate Japanese video game design, and specifically the JRPG. It was definitely a, definitely a, a huge influence in that JRPG anime yeah. style anime way as well i mean we're not talking about anime here but yeah yeah i agree it, it it was the it was the starting ground for a lot of people's interest in japanese video games and maybe even japanese culture as a whole right but as much as positive we're talking about there are also negatives to put oh, on. Yeah. Yes. like why is this always seem to be aimed for kids why is there no grown-up version out there yeah, people, I think, struggle with, as they get older, they want the franchises they love to grow with them. Yeah. But the reality is, is Pokemon's never going to do that. They always need to be bringing in new children, because the older fans are going to drop off. These things are designed that way on purpose. It's the Disney strategy, right? Is let's reintroducing these, reintroduce these things that are nostalgic for parents, but also interesting enough to get kids on board. It's literally the Disney strategy. <laughs> Pokemon excels at it, but the negative, you're right, is that people want it to grow and get more mature as they mature, and it just doesn't. It stays there. Pikachu is cute. Right. It's in its... It's going to be cute forever. Right. And that's one of the things about Pokemon, that it has been, at least for the past six generations, yeah. stuck in its ways of you're running around, you're collecting Pokemon, you're collecting mm -hmm. gym battles, you're trying to get to the top. And that formula yeah. does not change in 20 plus years. Yeah, the games, a lot of people argue, they don't change enough with the times. They don't innovate enough. It is very similar. Like, people are already angry at the footage they showed of Sword and Shield that random battles are back. Because people, like, one, liked the thing they did with Let's Go, uh, where you could see the Pokemon in the wild. And two, because it's just another one of those classic, ancient old JRPG mechanics that we could do better with now. Like, random encounters, to some people, shouldn't happen. I'm less worried about it. But, some people... I mean, Robbie Malek apparently loves random encounters, according to that video. But, I mean... No, did you see that, by the way? No. There's this video of Robbie Malek just saying all the things he likes. <laughs> and he's like, I... or No, what he says, I'm a fan of. And he goes like, I'm a fan of my mom. I'm a fan of classic movies, and he just goes on like this for a while. But one of the things he says is, I'm a fan of random encounters. <laughs> and I can't not think of jet, like video games when he says that, even though I know he means like randomly meeting somebody. Yes. So I'm like, oh man, Robbie Malik loves random encounters. <laughs> Anyways. Um, 
But yeah, like I get why people would say like, no, that's falling back into your old ways. And yeah, you did mention six generations because Sun and Moon did Moon did try to kind of roll back some of those things. Yeah. They got rid of gym badges. They introduced new mechanics uh, for progression, uh, which is important. It's little, but it's important. Right. They introduced uh, not just a gym battles, mm-hmm. but rather island challenges. They puzzles. Intru- and- puzzles. They introduced. Um, no longer are do you have the HM slave right, in your team. Right, right, they, they freed that up. But there's little stuff that they do improve on, but after 25 years, yeah. it may be too little too to late. A lot of people like a lot of people look at a new Pokemon game, play it for five minutes, and said it's still this, and they drop off. Yeah. Which I get. It is still that. It's a refined version of that, but that's not enough for some people. And then, uh, I mean, um, other negatives, I mean... I mean, if we want to branch this out into the franchise, the TV series is... It's neither out here nor there. I know. I know. The TV series has its own problems. It's better than it used to be. Let's put it that way. (laughs) But there was, yeah, there was like a decade where I didn't care because it was so bad. Yeah. But yeah, and like... uh, But but, but, but back to the games, though, like outside of the main core series... I think of, there's there's also an argument to be made that the games they do put Pokemon on a franchise uh, uh, like as a franchise like slap that brand on mm-hmm. are usually not very good. The, we haven't the, had the like an amazing out. one. Like people always shout out Pokemon Snap as being like the yeah. one exception. But Pokemon Snap is how old now? But yeah, Pokemon Snap is twenty years old this year. Uh, Can you believe that? Twenty yeah, years old. And that's a nineties game. To it. That's a nineties game. So instead, we get the Pokemon Mystery Dungeons. We get, uh, we get po- Pokemon uh, Rangers. Pokemon Rangers. Got Coliseum and XD on the GameCube. Yep. People just didn't care. They just didn't make an impact. They were not very good games, and that doesn't like then adds definitely as negative points for this bracket is uh, just how much there is and how much of it sucks. Unlike Mario, where so much of that umbrella is great. Well, on top of that, there was a period of time in Pokemon where they literally ran out of ideas and started making HD remakes of their yeah. past games. I wouldn't say that that's running out of ideas. I get why they do that. Again, it's the Disney strategy of reintroducing things to the right. audience. But it definitely felt like we hit a block after X and, or after um, Black and White. We ran out of yeah. colors. Let's reintroduce the stuff that we already have in our canon. But to a certain extent, that also is often mechanical. Like, when they did Fire Red and Leaf Green on the Game Boy Advance, the reason was is because the Game Boy Advance games couldn't communicate with the GB, the Game Boy games. Mm-hmm. And so you needed to introduce the 150 into the ecosystem again. And they have to do that now every single time technology changes. That's why they rely on these remakes. The reason why Alpha Sapphire and Omega Ruby, the most recent remakes, besides Let's Go, um, if you count that, um, <laughs> um, those, um, the reason they did those is because the the, Ruby, the Generation 3 Pokemon were underrepresented in the DS games. So it gave them a reason to be like, oh, now we have a reason to bring these back into the fold. So there's a mechanical reason as well as a nostalgia reason for those to happen. But now the question remains about, like, Sword and Shield. How are they going to do that now? The Switch cannot communicate with DS. It can't. They can't communicate with 3DS. So what is their plan there? We don't know yet. I'm sure they'll have one. I mean, maybe they'll figure out how to uh, uh, make the Pokemon Box program, the 3DS Pokemon yeah. Box. Maybe that will somehow... Those are on the cloud. Pokemon literally on the cloud there. Mm-hmm. So, like, maybe we're to that point where they can just be like, here's a box app for Switch. But, yeah, there's a lot of questions, and 
That brings up another negative, which is inconsistency with Pokemon games. It's like they 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 they, they rarely have like a universal plan to make it easy to literally catch them all. There's always some catch in the hoops that you have to jump through. Right. Most notably that they don't make every Pokemon available yeah. on just one game. You have to get both if you want to, as the slogan goes, yes. gotta catch them all. And then making you go to special events at like GameStop or something to get specific legendaries that are available only for a short time. Or literally deliver, like uh, trade somebody your left leg to trade something on the global trade system. Like no one ever like people want ridiculous shiny blah blah blahs for whatever the thing you want is. Or not even just shiny blah blah blahs, but like <laughs> Pokemon that were only available for six months, like right. a Jirachi or a Celebi or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's like people are like, oh, I have attached a Master Ball to this thing. To get to, tra- to somebody to trade it with me. It's ridiculous. The global trading system is a mess. And it always will be. There's no way to fix that, unfortunately. But, yeah, there's so much... Uh, because of how big and crazy it is, and or, has had, had, it's a, had, or how it's gotten mm-hmm. so big and crazy, it's always going to be that weird and inconsistent. But that can turn people off. Even diehards. Yep. So, I don't know. I feel we, we probably did Pokemon a service. Do you have anything else to say about it? Um, no, but at that Pokemon, if I talk about Pokemon and Mario, it does bring me to my next franchise. Okay, what do you get? So, and that would be Super Smash Brothers. I don't know if this counts. Why? Because well, I guess it kind of counts. It it's is not own... just Mario. There no. are other things that clash with it. Yes. Yeah, this is an interesting one because I feel like there's a there's a pocket of people who would argue that this is incredibly important. It's definitely important, but is it its own franchise? Because it definitely yeah. borrows from literally everything. I think for the for for the, the this conversation that we're having, yeah, I think it can fight by itself. Okay, uh, because it's become important in in a way that's not just hey, look at all the Nintendo characters in this thing. It's become something that is played annually at fighting tournaments, like Evo. Like, even though it's not Melee this year, uh, Ultimate is one of the games on the Evo stage this mm-hmm. year. And so, yeah, it's still, if it's that big, that means it's along the, the same size as something like your Soul Calibers, your Tekkens, and your Street Fighter. Right, this is all... saying a lot. Right, and while Smash Brothers doesn't have an annual release. It doesn't even have a biannual release. No, not even close. No, it's a generational, it's a generational uh, release. Yeah. Uh, I think we're on the fourth generation now? Yeah, no, fifth. This fifth. is the fifth game. Yeah. Wow, it's been five. So we have five yeah, games five. to look at then. There's the N64 game. There's the GameCube game. There's the Switch game. There's the Ooh. 3DS and Wii U game. And then there's Ultimate for the Switch. Yep. Yeah, so there's there's five. Okay. Takes technically if you split the Wii U and 3DS into two games. But no, because they sold the them as a bundle and you could cross play with them. Yeah, they're the same. But yeah, I think I think it's fair now I think about it, yeah, I think it is fair to have this here. Right. And positively, like, yeah, it's one of the most uh, accessible fighting games video games. I mean, it's very easy. It's you want to come over and play Smash Brothers. It's very easy to pick a character. And just go at it with friends. Yeah. It the, doesn't have complicated combos. It doesn't necessarily have um, intri- an intricate learning curve like a lot of video game, uh, like a lot of fighting games do. It does have a learning curve, and yes. I'll get to more of that in the negatives, because I think there is an argument for 
that to be not a great thing. Uh, but the, but yeah, it's relatively easy to pick up and play. And the fact that it has all of your, everybody fa- every, everybody's favorite uh, Nintendo characters in it, it means that somebody can be like, oh, I know Kirby. And they can play some Kirby and get an idea of how the game works just based on their Kirby knowledge. Right, but on top of that, the Smash Brothers has actually opened up a lot of people to other characters yes. that they necessarily wouldn't have watched. Like, yeah. I like they play the game for because Mario's and company are in it, but then they see Donkey Kong yeah. and then it trans and then it gets them into introduction into say like Donkey Kong or Metroid or yeah. uh, Punch Out or um, the Xenoblades. Yeah, franchise. I think specifically for our, our generation, I would say that it probably introduced a lot of people to the Metroid series when the first game came out. Mm-hmm. Because 1999 was this lull where nobody, where Nintendo hadn't put out a Metroid game in like five years and wouldn't put out another one until another three. And then, so, then, so it introduced a lot of, of us to that franchise. And then the GameCube ones, of course, introduced a lot of people to something that didn't exist in America yet, Fire Emblem. You're right. Nobody knew who Marth and Roy were. We had to learn, and Nintendo would only put out a Fire Emblem game in the United States after Melee was released. Right, because it sold well, yeah. because people were introduced people to those characters. interested in those characters all of a sudden. People were like, hey, who is this from? Nintendo, give us these games we've just now heard of. Right. Plus, it also acts like an intermediary between other franchises, like yeah. um, the Animal Crossing series. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's cool because I always think of, at least since Melee, I always thought of the Super Smash Brothers games as kind of like the Nintendo, like a Nintendo encyclopedia almost. Yeah. Here's one game that has like all the information and music and like characters from all the franchises together in one place for you to be like, learn more about them. You're right. It's like, it's a touchstone for Nintendo in a way that even the Mario series really isn't. It's really a nexus for a lot yeah. of Nintendo knowledge. Yeah. And video games as a whole, we're getting to the point where franchises that have never appeared on a Nintendo console are appearing with this new uh, uh, Persona character they're adding to mm-hmm. uh, uh, Ultimate. There's never been a Persona game for a Nintendo platform. Not only that, but they had <laughs> Link, they had Snake, they yeah, had Ryu, they had yeah. Ken. Street Fighter characters, I mean, yeah, there has been a, a main Street Fighter entry on a Nintendo console since two. Well, maybe three. There may have been a, a, a Super NES version three, but yeah, it's like it's crazy, like like how different it is. I don't know. It's it's it, it, yeah. It's like a lot of, of of different characters and 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 history. It's like a really good way of like here's the entire history of the company in the game. And but, it's crazy multiplayer fun, which yeah. is another major positive. Like it's it's a good party game. Um, as long as people know what they're doing, uh, it's a good party game because you can just kind of toss that on and then people, like, you know, it doesn't have to be super competitive. You can have items on, have, like, a crazy Mario Kart-esque time with it if you want. Mm-hmm. Or you can remove items and, like, specify the stages you want and make it a very, very serious fighting game. It's so flexible that you can have both a party atmosphere to it and a hardcore scene. Uh, the hardcore scene is very hardcore. Like we said, yes. there are tournaments, there are cash prizes for this. Yeah. There are, ca- and they not only just play the new version, they play the old version. Yeah. They bring out the old CRTVs. They bring out the old GameCube versions. Yeah, people love melee. Like to this day, people are diehard. Like will only play melee people, and there aren't that many games left that 
people are that obsessed with. It's like that is like like Nintendo themselves have had to cater to that market that that market with like because of the demand. They've had to come up with GameCube controller converters for every console they've released since because of how many people still play Melee. And I think that while that is definitely a positive on Nintendo's side, <laughs> it's also a negative in terms of holding them back. Yeah, the negatives, we begin with the negatives here. This is, I think, why this will have a harder time than the other franchises we've talked about so far. Super Smash Brothers, a lot of people are very dismissive of it for similar reasons to why what I said people were dismissive of Mario Kart and Mario Party. To a lot of people, it's so chaotic and so all over the place and so unpredictable that they don't see it as a skilled game, even though there is an element of skill to it. They see it as craziness. They see it as, oh, this is the fighting game for kids. This is the fighting game for people who don't play fighting games. People are incredibly dismissive of it. And to a certain extent, what I my experience I've had with Ultimate, I like the game, but it's really made me think about the franchise as a whole in a more negative light than I have before. And the reason is, is because of the learning curve has gotten ridiculous now. On service, you may think, as we said, that it's really easy to hop in. It's like, no, we have, like, if you have a basic idea of what these characters do, like, I know Kirby hops and flies, he sucks somebody in, he spits them out, or he swallows them to gain their powers. Even if you know those basics, though, the controls can be ridiculous to people who don't know what to do. The jumps are on face buttons or it's up on the stick, which is unlike any other game design in Nintendo's history. Like the the fighting the, the the moves are not intuitive, whereas like even your Street Fighters is like this is your punch button, this is your kick button. The same button for multiple characters in Super Smash Brothers could be a kick or a punch or a laser blast or a jump. It's inconsistent. No character follows the same rules. And because we're in the fifth incarnation of the franchise, that's just gotten deeper and deeper and deeper to the point where you would have to have previous knowledge to know these things. It requires a lot more than the surface suggests of someone coming into it new. Yeah, it's definitely while, like we said, like we while it can be just a simple pick up and play. Yeah. There is layers to each fighting style, to yeah. each fighting character, maybe, to the point where yeah. if you would go and play against other people in tournaments, like you think you're good, there's like definitely another layer of skill. Yeah, and then that conversation also has to do with the audience for the game, which I think Nintendo isn't even really clear about who they want to cater to. Every generation you see Nintendo kind of making concessions for the fans and also making concessions for the, the mainstream people who pick, want to pick it up is they'll do certain things that are like, well, we put tournament mode back in. Well, we're supporting the GameCube controllers again. We made this specific mode that is like catered to developing your skills. It's like they'll do stuff that like that for the hardcore crowd. That means nothing to, you know, like, somebody who played the first one in 1999 and hasn't played one since. Also, in the other direction, they don't take it seriously, or at least they didn't until Ultimate, take it seriously about balancing and patching the game. A lot of people's problem with the Wii U games were is that uh, they didn't actually listen to the fans about the changes that they wanted to make. The game kind of never changed, and people hated it for the reasons why they hated it, and that was it. At least they're learning from for, for Ultimate. They're actually patching and 
upgrading characters and nerfing characters here and there as needed, which is something they haven't done before. So they're learning there, but still a lot of people see it as this game is trying to play to two audiences at the same time and is really in, 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 in results is really catering to neither. Well, the, when those two audiences have maybe one or two overlap into what they both like, yeah. you're really trying to build two separate games in one. You are, and that's essentially what they've done. And instead of coming to a uh, coming to like a plateau naturally, like what apparently, according to a lot of people who are big fans, has happened with Mario Kart, with most recent Mario Kart, Mario Kart Eight. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are quick to say that they figured that one out. That there's stuff there for the hardcore. There's like a higher uh, speed uh, level. There's difficulty essentially. There's more like customization you can do where you can make that game difficult if you want it to, while also, like, being Mario Kart and being accessible. Where uh, Super, uh, um, Smash Brothers isn't there. It's still trying to be these two different games. Yeah, it's... Yeah. It's a complicated thing. It is definitely a complicated thing. It's not easy to define what it is besides it's just yeah. a fighting game. Because <laughs> there's story mode in it, too. Yeah. Yeah. And the story mode stuff is cool, but I feel like they never do enough with it because they know they also have to have the whole other part which they focus on, which is the competitive stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's, it's a tough franchise to evaluate because unlike Mario and Pokemon, they haven't necessarily chosen where they want it to be. Right. Yeah. Well, anything else to add there? I don't think so. What other franchise... Well, are we, in? we have to talk about Zelda, I think. Okay. It's up there. Uh, I think that to a lot of people, it's just as important as Mario is in the Nintendo canon. It's almost like Mario's cooler, older brother in a lot of ways. <laughs> it's the teen. The teen. Yeah. The cool, the angsty, the It's easier for world. older fans to uh, attach themselves to it because it's a little darker. There's a little bit more uh, drama in the stories that it tells. There's a lot more story, period. There's a lot more narrative and actual, like, plot and characters. And it takes uh, everything a bit more seriously. It's more violent. There's actual, like, swords and There's actual consequences, consequences that they deal with. Consequences and, and difficulty. It's usually a more difficult franchise. Uh, but it's also, it's also a franchise, though, that has changed. And it changed the way it looks and feels so many times. That it's, that it's almost, like, to the point where it's hard to call it all one big thing. And in kind of a similar way in Mario, because it's such a big umbrella. Zelda doesn't, however, have the, the, the baggage of having all the spinoffs, though. <laughs> it has had spinoffs in the past, but not nearly to the amount of spinoffs Mario has. There isn't, like, a game of all about frickin', uh, uh, I don't know... Princess Zelda going on her own adventure, even though there should be. Uh, but yeah, like yeah. stuff like that. Like, or, that I mean, in, as in much. terms of spin-offs for Zelda, we have Hyrule Warriors. Yeah. And... They've done some stuff, but there was that crossbow training thing for the Wii. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, ultimately, like, Zelda is, like, such a different thing than Mario that it's, yeah, it, 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 it's attractive to a different kind of subset of video game players. Yeah, but Zelda has been on every console. Yeah, it has. And it's also, in, in a lot of ways that Mario is, incredibly influential. Mm-hmm. The, in the same way Mario is, you had The Legend of Zelda for NES, which obviously set the template for the 
adventure RPG. Basically, it arguably created it, I and mean, you could conflate that with uh, Zelda with, uh, of course, Adventure on the Atari. You could conflate that with some of the other, uh, like, Japanese and Western-developed RPGs at the same time that were kind of flirting with adventure elements and more, like, freeform, less turn-based stuff. But ultimately, Zelda was the template that like, started a lot of people down the path that of the adventure RPG as we know it. And then Zelda, uh, Zelda on the N64, Ocarina of Time, did that for 3D adventure RPGs. It established a way to do 3D combat in a way that mattered with Z-targeting. To this day, Kingdom Hearts 3, for instance, there are games that rely on that mechanic to function. Yep. Like there are th- they, like the fact they figured out a way that worked so well for 3D com- 3D combat that they're, you're, we're still seeing that, it 20 years later. I say four generations yeah. later. Yeah. It's still it's still the, implemented. Like, it yeah. defined it to the point where there's no better way of doing it. Like that solved the problem immediately, mm-hmm. and nobody's gone back. The games that don't use it are worse because they don't use it. And so, yeah, it's like it, it, it's an important franchise in a lot of people's minds for that reason. Right. And each, each iteration of the game has had its own unique art style as well. Yeah. That's and that's something that, it, that people don't necessarily like to, to admit or even discuss, yeah. but it's there when you look at it. I think this is cool, and one of the things that actually make it slightly cooler than Mario in a lot of ways is the fact that they're willing to experiment more with Zelda. Mm-hmm. Like, there was the, during the time where Mario was kind of spinning its wheels between Mario 64 and Mario, let's say, uh, Galaxy, between that amount of time, they were, instead of experimenting with Mario, they were experimenting with Zelda. This is when you had the, uh, the Game Boy Color games where they did a Pokemon-esque versions with Capcom, where they did the Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons. Mm-hmm. This is also when, you, of course, you have Zelda Wind Waker on GameCube, which completely changed the art style. Then you have DS games that tried really creative stuff with the DS format. Uh, uh, your, uh, uh, what's the, Spirit Tracks is the second Spirit one. Track. The first one is uh, Phantom Hourglass. Yes. Like, the stuff where you had puzzles where you could only solve them by closing and opening the DS case. They did really cool stuff back then. But... It wasn't like focused on because they weren't main Zelda games. Then you did, of course, have like well, besides Wind Waker. Then, of course, you have like Twilight Princess, which was something that a lot of people wanted, and then something that many people like me did not want. Right, it definitely that one definitely skewed <laughs> yeah. for the older because people wanted older. Yeah. Because Zelda had been out by that time for fifteen years, something. But still, it was innovation. It was still them trying something new. Right. It was trying that like. Building that light world, dark world, dark world mechanic into the character of Link himself by allowing him to to, to transform into a wolf it was a cool mechanic, and it, it it was kind of a neat way of expressing that concept in a new way. Right, it opened up the puzzles a lot more. Yeah, um, I mean, I think, the, and yeah, like we kind of uh, briefly talked about earlier. The way that they've set up the world of Zelda is fascinating, and is so it makes and stands it apart from uh, from Mario. There's lore, there's things that matter. There's a rough timeline, not an official one, but there's like a rough timeline. You know basically which which Link appears when, kind of, and and they do enough with the story where like it creates more uh, more to hold on to if you're a huge fan, and that's really cool. 
Well, yeah. I'm glad you brought up the timeline. Yeah. Because that is where a lot of people's main concerns lie. Yeah. So, yeah, negative-wise, yeah. Like, I think that some people believe that they need to go further even than they have with the story. A lot of people hate that there's, like, Here's gaps. the branch. Yeah. Pick one. <laughs> there's gaps and there's branches and there's characters that don't make any sense. And, like, people really want there to be a co- coherent Zelda world. Mm-hmm. And Nintendo just isn't interested in doing that. I mean, this is the company that basically said that they didn't want store, uh, the Paper Mario games to be RPGs anymore because that wasn't the interesting part about them. When that is 100% wrong, that was the interesting part about them. And so, yeah, it's like they're, they're just naturally a company that doesn't want to get so far into the lore that it becomes Kingdom Hearts. Nintendo is the anti-Kingdom Hearts. They don't mm-hmm. want that to happen. They don't right. want it to be something that turns off new people. They want every game in their franchises to make new players happy just as much as the diehards. Well, and that's essentially why the format has not changed. Yeah. You visit the eight temples, you go and defeat Ganon, you find yeah. the Triforce. That, though, just like Pokemon, has started to change. Yes. Link Between Worlds on 3DS finally broke the linearity and it allowed you, just like the original Zelda, to tackle the dungeons in any order. Though they did this, though, while also making really innovative changes with the items. They allowed you to have unlimited bombs instead of having to gather bombs and arrows. And uh, they put those on a timer, charging timer, instead. This allowed you to uh, have more freedom with how you use those more as tools instead of just as weapons. Also, they allowed you to get these from one shop instead of getting them as you progress through the game. Which meant that you could get an item meant for later to tackle a dungeon meant for later as well. Like, there wasn't necessarily anything telling you, get this to do this and this to do this, which was innovative. And then, of course, Breath of the Wild and the Switch threw out the entire Zelda rulebook and basically said, here's an open world, go. Right, and that's where we're at. (laughs) And that's where we're at. So, like, Nintendo was willing, and this is a positive as much as it is a negative, Nintendo was willing to basically just throw off like the entire like history of it, even more so than Pokemon has, and allow it to become this new thing. Um, and the the negative part, as you kind of mentioned, though, is that it didn't do that for so long. Right. There was definitely some time there where it just felt like they were doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. But the thing they did it because it sold. Yeah. And they people, always do. And if they sell. Why change the formula? Yeah, but I remember when we got to the point uh, with Skyward Sword on Wii, no one cared anymore. Right. Like, I I knew one person who played that game. Like, nobody else bought it because at that point, the Wii was dwindling. Nobody wanted to buy the um, Ocean Plus peripheral that was required to play the game. And so it became this, like... Well, there were also rumors of the new console, yeah. like, within the next year. By that point, people were already talking about the Wii U, and it didn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like I think that that's definitely an important part. I think that another another thing is the difficulty, even in Zelda, even though it's more difficulty difficult than your Mario's and your Pokemon's. I think still people really still want it to be the more hardcore franchise, both content wise and difficulty wise. I think people want to believe that you can have this like Dark Souls esque Zelda experience. And I don't think you can actually, like, have that and still have a Zelda game. And so, yeah, that's definitely a yeah. detriment. Well, um, Zelda is definitely not meant, at least not anymore, meant for young 
young gamers. It's definitely, yeah. you need some skill going into those games. You need to have a video game baseline to understand. It requires a lot of you, but not a whole lot. It's like somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Where like, if you stick with it, you can beat it, if, like, if you know the, the tricks. Which has always been the case. I mean, back to, you need the silver arrows to defeat Ganon in the first game. Like, there's always been like, oh, here's the thing you need, and that'll make it easy. Like, which is fine, but like, some people are looking for more of a challenge than that. Which, this franchise just isn't that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, trying to think of other negatives, and it's actually kind of harder than the Mario and the Pokemon stuff. Because yeah. it's like, besides just how much of a lull they were in, even when they were in a lull, it was a reliable lull. Where you could always be like, alright, I know what to expect from a Zelda game. I'm going to jump into the Zelda game and it'll play like I want it to play. Right, even people who were hesitant on Breath of the Wild were still found stuff within it yeah. to enjoy, to be able to put countless hours on it, 80, 60, 80 hours into that game. Yeah. It stood the test of time in a way similar to uh, Pokemon and Mario. And, like, that's... It's a little big point towards it. Yeah. What's next? All right, so we've listed off four. Yeah. Uh, Let's just do one more each and then try and narrow this down. Okay. So I have a couple more on my list here. (laughs) Oh, you already have yours? Yeah, yeah. You go first. I don't know which one I have between these, so why don't you go ahead and say the last one. Oh. Since since you're locked into yours, and I'm juggling between three here. We have to talk about Metroid. Okay, so that was not on my list. <laughs> wow, you forgot about old Samus. No, no, it's on here. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't feel like I need to include it. Oh, I because, think it has to be here. Well, I I feel like there's a lot of gaps in it. I feel like it's <laughs> we'll not get there. as reliable. We'll get okay. there first. So why is it on your list then? Oh, well, so Metroid is almost like the, the black sheep of the Nintendo family because... It's the thing that was introduced in the, at, um, on the NES the same, around the same time as Zelda. In fact, like a couple weeks in the U.S. from Zelda's release, believe it or not. And, um, and Mario, but it didn't have, it doesn't quite have the same legacy as it does. And there are a couple reasons for that. One, apparently it didn't do too well in Japan. Historically, it's never been that popular of a series over there. Which makes sense when you think about it. It's hard sci-fi in a way that Americans more alike than Japanese do. We glommed onto it because it reminds it reminded us of things at the time, such as Alien, mm-hmm. and it reminded us of like Blade Runner and those hard sci-fi things that we as a culture really, really appreciate and like. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why Nintendo has gone up and down with the amount of support that they've given it. But the games that have come out, though, are important enough where it would be ridiculous not to have it in this discussion. Like... Super Metroid by itself is probably the most, like, one of the most influential games in gaming history. And, in my, like, in my opinion, it's one of the best games that, that Nintendo's ever made. Um, I like it better than any Zelda game or any Mario game. But, that's just me. But, so, uh, but yeah, I think, like, I think that it's just not in, it's not everybody's cup of tea, which makes it harder to recommend. Right, like I said, it's definitely not my cup of tea. Yeah. It's definitely not on... While I do understand it has an importance... Oh, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. under, necessarily think that it has a legacy of a franchise to yeah. build upon. But if you didn't have Metroid, you wouldn't have Castlevania. You wouldn't have recent games like Bioshock. You wouldn't have the Batman Arkham games. 
In all these games that are basically doing the thing where, oh, in order to progress through this door, I need to get this item elsewhere in the game world and come back. See, I feel that like is a thing that Metroid created. Well, see, I feel like we would have gotten to that point eventually, yeah. and not necessarily Metroid was that influential in making that Other happen. Other games did do similar things. Yes. Metroid was like, here's how you do it. Here's how you build a game on this concept. It literally created that. Like, whereas Mega Man, which was also around the same time, mm-hmm. introduced the idea of get this weapon to defeat the boss in the next world. This was doing that for envir- environmental puzzles. Which made it an exploration game as much as it was an action game. Zelda does this to a certain extent from a top-down perspective, but Metroid does it side-scrolling. And it also does it in an action way that Zelda doesn't quite do. Zelda tries to balance puzzles with action. Metroid throws puzzles out the door. It doesn't need puzzles. Samus is all about action. And she does not think about what, what uh, moving a block from place to place. She wants to blast a door open with a missile, and she will do it. Yes, and let's talk about Samus for a second here. Yeah, she, she's important because well, no, she's one, a woman, and she, that was yes. a big deal in 1987. Like, the, and of course, you didn't know until the end of the game, and yeah, there was the sad part of her being in a swimsuit when she was re- revealed, which isn't ideal. But it's set up like, <laughs> hey, women can be a main character in a video game, and they don't have to be Ms. Pac-Man. Like, that was a big deal mm-hmm. in an action title. Like it mattered, and it's and it opened up a door for Tomb, like for games like Tomb Raider, like where like later they this is now not a thing that people think about. People are just like, oh yeah, you have the option to be a man or a woman or whoever you want in these games now, because it doesn't matter anymore. But there was a period of time where that didn't happen. Every action video game star was male, and so yeah, like I think it's 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 pretty important that such a big player in the Nintendo ethos is female. And is the the star, and in most of her games, the only human. (laughs) That's one of the cool things, and another positive, I think, to the Metroid games, is even beyond the the importance of the gameplay and the influence that had. But also the atmosphere is so important in those games. Those games isolate you in a way that Nintendo games or video games as a whole don't really do a lot. This is a game where it's like you against the environment and against the enemies and literally no other people or things to help you. It's like, here, figure it out. It just throws you in. Kind of like Zelda in that way, but even Zelda gets help from townspeople and, like, quest givers and, like, old dudes in caves giving you swords. <laughs> Samus has none of that, except for some of the later games where there's, like, people, like, telling her via computer what to do. But, like, for the most part, she's on her own, and she has to figure it out, and... The oppressive atmosphere, especially in the first game and in Super Metroid, does so much to the feeling of tension in those games. It's not a happy game like Mario. It's not a epic game like Zelda. It's a scary game in a lot of ways. It, it's a really it's or- a sci-fi horror. early example of sci-fi horror in video games, even though it lightened as the franchise went on. Right. And as the franchise went on, we've had later and later gaps between titles. That's true. There are always the lulls. When you talk about Metroid, you talk about the times where Nintendo didn't want to make one. Like the entire N64 era. Samus only appeared in Super Smash Bros. There was no Super. Uh, there was no N64 Metroid game. There wouldn't be another Metroid game from Metro, Super Metroid all the way until Metroid Prime and Fusion in 2001. Or 2002? 
2001, 2002, and they would come out on the same day. <laughs> so, so yeah, like there was a lull, uh, and then there has also hasn't been like great spinoffs either. Your Metroid Prime Hunters, for example, your Metroid Other M on the Wii, which was resoundly under like underappreciated. There have been low points in the franchise. But there's also been incredible highs, like I mentioned Prime Met, uh, Met, uh, uh, Super Metroid, but also Metroid Prime for the GameCube, which a lot of people shout out as incredibly important and influential. It's one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, it did the same, a similar thing to um, the idea of an action game with exploration uh, for first-person games in a way that hadn't been done before. Like, it did it in a way different from the Half-Life games, for, for example, and it did it on a console. And I think that was and so important to a point where no developer actually did it really the same way afterwards. Nobody's done a Metroid Prime game because nobody, like nobody can do it like they did. But yeah, uh, but yeah, negatives. I mean, you mentioned the lulls. Also, I think that a lot of people are turned off by just the design of it, like you were saying, like the just the exploration heavy uh, part about it. People are just not. Some people are just not willing to spend that much time to figure out the game, especially that first game. Right. Uh, also, they've changed different styles. You've had a game go from side scrolling to first person <laughs> yeah. to 3D, and yeah. in the same game. While that is cool and innovative, mm-hmm. that can throw you for a loop real easily. And control wise, I don't know. A lot of people think the Metroid Prime games are cumbersome because they were designed for a controller. It was a first person shooter designed for a controller that technically had two analog sticks but did not use them like you thought they would (laughs) it's a complicated game to control because 2002 was a weird year for video game controls but uh but yeah like i i I think you're right it's just not something when yeah when we said earlier it's not everybody's cup of tea it's because it's a weird it's always been a weird feeling franchise right it's 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 a complicated thing it's not easy to pick up Okay, and that brings us to our last game we're going to talk about. Now, I have a couple here to choose from. Okay, what did you ultimately choose? I ultimately went with a game relatively new, relatively recent. Only two, technically two games in its franchise. Hmm. But something that's been well-selling for Nintendo, and that is Splatoon. Okay, interesting pick. I've never played a Splatoon game, so I don't know how much I can say. I've played Splatoon, and it is... Fun. It is interesting. It's because most Nintendo games are basically get your friends together and beat up on one another. Mm-hmm. This is an actual team environment game. Mm-hmm. This is working together with your friends to com- complete a goal. And the game mechanics in itself are interesting enough to yeah. be unique for a Nintendo game. And in a way, it's Nintendo finally, finally, after years of ignoring it, Finally putting out a competitive shooter. Right. Like, in like the years since, like, Call of Duty and Gears of War and all these shooter franchises, and Halo, can't miss Halo, yeah. that's the one that started it, um, but, like, yeah, like, all the, on consoles at least, um, all these, like, very important competitive shooters, they became basically the thing on console video games, and Nintendo hadn't put one out yet. Right. It wasn't until... <laughs> Splatoon on the Wii? Wii U? It was a Wii U game. Wii U first, game, yeah. And now the Switch. Now Switch for Splatoon 2. But yeah, like, it, yeah, that's a, that's an important point. It's definitely something that they hadn't done before, and the fact that they did it so well... The first time out the for a shooter. Time, yeah. Not just a shooter, but a 
new franchise, right. a new IP shooter that everyone just gravitated to yeah. and absolutely adored. Yeah, and in the most Nintendo way, too, because they couldn't just put out a regular shooter. They had to make it kid-friendly, and they had to make it innovative. So they come up with this paint concept. Yeah. Where it's not about shooting other players as much as it is about shooting the environment you're in. Right. While you can't shoot other players yeah. and make them reset... That's not the point. That's not the point. Yeah. The point is to cover the map. Right. And it makes the map all colorful and kid-friendly. Yeah. But there's also a strategic gameplay, gameplay element of it to where yeah. you have to rely on different, uh, different people on your team yeah. uh, having knowledge of the different characters, of their different skill set... In order to basically accomplish the goal of winning. Right. And it's a video game example of Nintendo finally figuring out online. Like, there have been years for like years where, like, yeah, Mario Kart or something where you could play online, or Super Smash Bros. you could play online, which is always laggy and really awful, and the menus never made sense, and people just didn't want to do it. Then Splatoon actually made sense, and, like, it worked. Mm-hmm. And was lag-free, largely, from what I understand. And people enjoy playing it in a competitive way on the internet. They figured it out. I mean, obviously, something that everyone else figured out in 2006. But <laughs> but the fact that Nintendo was finally doing it and did it well, again, yeah, it, it acts as kind of an example of the modern Nintendo as instead of the old-fashioned Nintendo. Right, which we've talked about the old-fashioned yeah. Nintendo quite a bit here. The fact that they're able to bring something yeah. new, it something is, re-innovated... Yeah. And people, like I said, people just took to it. I'm actually kind of glad that you brought this up in this conversation because this is the sole example of new Nintendo on this list. Yeah. Is this is Nintendo saying, like, no, not only can we come up with fresh IPs, we're still capable of it, but we're going to prove to you that we can be modern. We can make a modern game in, like, in the way we think of modern video games now. Online, cooperative or competitive. Right. With these changing worlds, with... With patches, downloadable content, like Splatoon is very modern in these ways that all the other games we just talked about are definitely not still. Right, and Splatoon is, I think, the second Nintendo game in competitive mode. I mean, I mean outside of Smash, with it, like I said, in Super Smash Brothers games of the past and Mario Kart games of the past. Yeah, uh, but in terms of like combat, like. Designed around it, yes. Yeah, designed around Like, they don't design, like, games around online play until Splatoon. You're right. This was the first one where from the outset they were like, we're making a competitive Mm -hmm. online game. So, yeah, it's incredibly important. But... It's also new. (laughs) It's also really new, and it's also something that maybe is too weird for a lot of people who want a competitive shooter on the Switch. Right. I mean, from a... Adult, I don't want to say adult, but mm-hmm. from from a grown up standpoint of going from a shooter like Call of Duty to a shooter like Splatoon, it's definitely a jarring aspect. It's the downside that we mentioned in Mario and Pokemon. Is yeah, that this thing is designed for all ages, which means it's going to turn off people who are looking for a more mature game. The past, though, this one has though, is that there are plenty of other options for people who want shooters. To be mature. Literally every other shooter. Yeah. So it's not like that's a really tough argument. I think the tough arguments become when you talk about where Nintendo is at with online. They're just not to the point where Sony and Microsoft are with their online infrastructure. Which means that the options for for matches and modes are limited. 
it means that they're still trying to grasp with what they want to be rotating, like whether all maps are, and game modes are available at any given time. I understand a lot of people's issue with Splatoon 2 is that that was always in flux. And so they couldn't just hop in on the map they wanted. Sometimes it just straight up wasn't there. And like there's other stuff that like with their new um, online service that's paid now, there's a lot of people who are like, well, I, I played this for free for an entire year and now you're making me pay for it? Sure, it's only an annual fee and it's only $20, but there are people who got really pissed off about that. And like, it's all growing pains of Nintendo coming into this thing that every other company has had a decade to figure out that they're just now learning. Well, it's also that everyone figured Nintendo was set in their ways. They'd never do this. Yeah. All of a sudden, they're doing this. Why? <laughs> yeah. Why are you doing this to me, Nintendo? I need to raise hell. Yeah. So, yeah. Otherwise, though, it's like, it's, it's really, it's so new that I almost hesitate to have that many negatives. It's like, it's a really cool looking game, which we didn't mention. It's yeah. like, its style is really, really neat. And it has like an atmosphere that's unlike than any of the Nintendo franchises. It feels cool in the way that like Dreamcast era Sega games did. <laughs> like it has that kind of vibe that games don't have anymore, which is another positive to it. I just don't know if we like as a culture though, like video game culture has like spent enough time with it for to be up in the ranks of the other games series we talked about though. Probably not in terms yeah. of time, but definitely in terms of Nintendo doing something different, yeah. doing something that branches yeah. out, breaking the mold, showing that they're more than just the the hits, more than just their greatest hits. Yeah, you're right. Um, All right. Uh, so that's six. I think we're good there. Yeah. Do uh, do we want to just talk about it real briefly if we could come up with any honorable mentions? Oh that yeah. Aren't on this list. Honorable mentions. Uh, we briefly mentioned Donkey Kong. Yeah, Donkey Kong is a good Donkey one, Kong! even though it's kind of under the Mario umbrella now. Yeah, uh, got absorbed. one I thought you would bring up, but I said you brought up Metroid, Kirby. Yeah, Kirby is near and dear to my heart, but I feel like the negatives outweigh the positives there. I love those games, but so many people like think they're just the epitome of easy. And like it's very, very hard. I think it would be hard for me to make an argument, especially when Mario does so many of the things that Kirby does. Um, I was also going to bring up Animal Crossing. Yep. I think this one is important because it's quietly one of the biggest things Nintendo has. And it's only quiet because it appeals to fans who aren't very vocal. It's not for the hardcore. It's for the people who dabble. Yes, there are people who are hardcore into Nintendo and also like Animal Crossing. But they're also the Chrissy Teigens of the world who will all of a sudden come out as huge Animal Crossing fans. And everybody's like, whoa. Like, it's like, the, it's like the console equivalent to me to me of The Sims. It's the game that everybody plays but nobody talks about. And I think that it, it's really important in that way. It means a lot to a lot of people. But we just didn't have time to talk about it. Well, it's also a game that's not action-based either. That's true. It's a completely different kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, speaking of games that aren't action-based, Brain Age Brain was a game is... that was on my list. but That's it's, tough it's because it was game. a cute... To me, that's a period of time game. It, it is. Like, it did. It ha was important in its time, but it does not hold up anymore. Like, if you go back to it, and also, they just stopped making them. Well, it stopped mattering. Well, it was a time when there weren't mobile games, right? And it was filling that gap of, hey, you can game and learn. 
But now you can do that on your phone. Yeah, now smartphones have rendered that whole series uh, obsolete. Yep. I think also uh, on Brain Age, a similar one to bring up would be Wii Sports. Yep. It's not necessarily a franchise. There were only two games. But it was really important when it came out. And it it was the game that proved motion controls mattered. Except now we're in a part part of video game timeline where motion controls don't matter anymore. (laughs) Outside VR. So it's it's hard to argue for it. And uh, last game I think we should bring up, uh, Star Fox. Star Fox, yeah, there would have been a time for Starbucks, Star Fox. Starbucks. Starbucks. But the problem with Star Fox is that there's one good Star Fox game, if you ask me. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's a tough one. That and, like, F-Zero right. are those Nintendo franchises that were important once and just aren't anymore. And that's why they're kind of tricky to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I, mean, I think that runs the gamut. Yeah, because there's also like Wario games and Luigi games, but they those are fall under, under the Mario umbrella. Umbrella to me. All right. Um, yeah. So I mean, that brings us to six six franchises. That's a pretty good six. Yeah, we got Mario, Pokemon, Zelda, Smash, and uh, Metroid and Splatoon. Metroid and Splatoon. That's a pretty good list. All right. So we had about. Uh, 20 minutes here to start knocking them down. Where do you want to start? Oh, God. Well, instead of starting with knocking them down, maybe we should start uh, start locking. Okay. Um, I think one for both of us that we're going to just basically lock and pass through is Pokemon. I think, yeah, I think Pokemon and Mario are locks. I want to fight against Mario. What? Just because I like fighting against Mario. <laughs> I oh, think, like in Smash Brothers? Yes. But I think Pokemon, as we said, is not just near and dear to our hearts, but near yes. and dear to a lot of people's hearts. And Definitely. the fact that they were able to rec- not just recognize that, but reinvigorate it with Pokemon Go. Yeah. Let's go Pikachu Eevee. They didn't even mention Pokemon Go. I know. That's also weirdly important. <laughs> right. The, that the franchise expands more than just the video games, yeah. the TV series, there's movies, there's animated yeah. films, there's a live action Which film. Which is all why I think Mario is a lock as well. Because it has all of those things too. If we're going to bring that <laughs> in, then the Super Mario Brothers film yeah. is definitely a negative it's against not good, it. But it exists. I'm but it sorry. exists. And another one will exist. This, uh, uh, Mad, uh, what's the studio? Magi. The Minions guys. Oh, uh, Illumination. Illumination. The, like, the Illumination Mario movie is happening. So. It's gonna happen again, and like that's why I think those two, the two most important Nintendo franchises, have to be on this list. Well, no, see, I would go with uh, Super Smash over Mario. Oh hell no! I think Super Smash Brothers is too divisive. Mario is universal. Smash is still controversial. Well, I think Mario is too everywhere. Every, yes, yes, you everyone keep making that argument. Yes, everyone knows what Mario is and what Mario does, but. He's literally just slapped on a lot of stuff. You know, and maybe in a world before Mario Odyssey, I would have agreed with you. But I think Odyssey and the, the what they've done on the Switch so far has proved that there are new, creative, innovative things to do within the Mario world. And I think just the sheer number of it is more beneficial than it is uh, uh, negative, to, in my mind at least. I think there's something for everyone to enjoy in the Mario games. So if we're going to include Mario in this, are we going to include all the Yoshi games, all the Wario games, all the Luigi Mansion games? Yes, yes, yes. 
Mario Kart, Mario Party, yeah, Mario Kart, Kart. Sports games. See that for me, that just balloons out of control. Yeah. real easily. But that's a metaphor for Mario. Like that's how important he is to the that company, and how important he is to the video games as a medium. Is that none of that would exist if Mario Super Mario Brothers hadn't happened? It's important. It's an equally consistent and important franchise. Well, it's insane if we don't have Mario on this list. I'm going to try and kick Mario to the curb <laughs> Mario, here. Mario doesn't only earn a spot here. Mario wins this whole thing. I didn't no. break this to you. <laughs> no, Mar- I'm going to fight no against No way. I have a tough uphill to battle because I know how important Mario is yeah. in the cultural yes. zeitgeist. You know how we had the Snow White problem when we did the Disney, Disney thing? Mario is our Snow White problem. <laughs> is the thing that did it first is going to have an advantage. Whether that be unfair or not, which I think was unfair for Snow White, because Snow White sucks. Yes. Something I didn't know until we did that bracket, by the way. (laughs) Oh my god, that movie is so boring. Nothing happens. It's not funny. It's not interesting. That movie is a slog, and it does not hold up. I know. Just like Mario, he's a slog, it doesn't hold up. No, the difference is, is Super Mario Brothers is still rad and still fun. That's the difference. Still rad. It's still rad. Quote Matt. A game from 1985 is still fun to play. But the, you know what? Going back even further, a game from 1981, Donkey Kong, the original last Donkey Kong, still a fun game to play today. You cannot say that about Snow White. You can't. It's a different argument. You can't equate them. I'm trying to argue. Let me argue. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, I think Mario and Pokemon. Unless you have a better argument. For one of the other game series we, we talked about. Because uh, I think... Here's my problems with the other ones. So, yeah. Metroid, you had good points. There were too many lulls, and it's not everybody's cup of tea. Right. It's a hard series for people to be to get into because that first game is impenetrable. Right. Splatoon 2. It's too, too new. It's not as familiar. It does a kind of thing that other games do. do but it does innovate in it. The only thing that I think the, 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 that Splatoon has an advantage with is the fact that it represents a new kind of Nintendo. A new generation, if you will. But we're not but that's that not far enough about. here. Yeah, unfortunately, it's just not going to play. Zelda is, I think, your third place here because it's just as near and dear to fans' hearts. It's just as innovative in a lot of really cool ways. It always tries new things, especially recently. But shouldn't it be rewarded for doing new things? But. New art styles, new yeah. types of gameplay? Shouldn't I, that be awarded then? I agree. The exact same but Mario thing. does that too, and probably in higher quantity. And that's the problem. Is all the games are more rare, which makes them bigger events, sure. But Mario just encompasses so many genres. That, yeah, you, you can have all sorts of different experiences under that umbrella. Alright, well then, it comes to, I guess, one or rank them. Does Mario rank over Pokemon? Because as you said in the beginning, Pokemon is the bigger franchise in terms of dollars. I think ultimately what they, what they uh, the difference between the two is unfortunately just that one became, became before the other. I think Mario has the advantage because it's more influential of a series. Like, it affected the landscape of video games and pop culture more. 
Pokemon did affect pop culture, but as for video games, yeah, maybe it helped people, as I said, like learn about Japanese uh, RPGs and popularize that form and reinvigorated the handheld market. I should probably also mention that. The Game Boy was essentially dead before Pokemon came back and resurrected it mm-hmm. and created the rest of the handheld that Nintendo made. Um, but really beyond that, though, it didn't literally create video games. <laughs> like, you can't, like, look back at Pokemon Red and Blue and be like, if this didn't happen, all these other games wouldn't happen? Because they probably would have. Well, no, no for it's more like if this didn't happen, Pokemon wouldn't have happened. And it hit yeah. right at the right time when the iron was yeah, hot. Poke- yeah, Pokemon. And the other unfortunate difference is that Pokemon's media ubiquity was planned from day one. It was such a hit in Japan with all of the disparate media elements that when they wanted to launch it internationally, Nintendo made made it a point to do all of those things at once. Nintendo basically learned like, hey, this would be a bigger deal if we put out the TV show, the card game, and the video game all at the same time. So that way we give the impression of Pokemon as a media franchise instead of just a video game. So that was almost like... You know, like a planned community? It's the video game version of a planned community. Which gave it kind of an unfair advantage. Mario came upon that because of how quality of a product it was. Pokemon came upon that because it was the plan all along. And sure, the test of time has said that, yeah, it did that also because it's good. But that wasn't the original plan. Nintendo was using those things as a, as like a fall, like a, like a backup plan almost, in case one of the things sucked. Like, if the video game didn't catch on and the Game Boy died, they would still have the television show and everything else, or vice versa. So, it's a little tough to... Those are really the main differences, I feel. So it's tough for me to compare the two, because Mario has the the, the default advantage of of being first and more important. Capital I important. Mm -hmm. Um, But Pokemon has maybe been more consistent. Okay. So it's hard for me to rank them. All right. Well, good thing we don't really necessarily yeah, have to rank them. We're just going to push it through and then talk about them more. Yeah. In our finale. Yeah. It's. A, I'm sad to see Metroid go, but I understand why. Yes. <laughs> but with that, Pokemon and Mario move on to the next round. Woo! They would. Yes. I mean, going into Nintendo, did you think yeah. anything, anything otherwise? Anything else? No. Maybe Zelda, but here we are. All right. Cool. All right. So, with that, we have been the Mini Boat Podcast, and this has been our uh, Nintendo part of the Mark Madness 2019. Our next section, we will be talking about Sony. Yep. A little less uh, uh, important in the grand scheme of things, but hey, we'll try to make some some arguments. It's (laughs) it's in 20 years. Yeah. 25 years. 25 years of video games. So, yeah, well, there'll be something to talk about. Yeah. All right. So it will continue soon. Or if you're uh, listening to this when it's already up, right away. Yeah. So uh, we'll we'll be posting these weekly. Or if you're so far in the future looking back on us, thank you for finding us. And you can listen to the next one right now. Goodbye.